Hi, this is Nigel Creaser with the Sunday Lunch Project Management Podcast episode for Sunday the 28th of March. All our clocks have gone forward and today I'm chatting to Bensi Goldman about uh, some different angles on team uh, management. And uh, yeah, first a few words from our sponsor. It's me, again. Uh, We don't have a formal sponsor for the podcast. Would love one. So if you're interested, ping me an email at sponsor at nigelcreaser.com or grab hold of me on any of the social media channels um, whilst we await an illustrious sponsor. By the way, the rates are very cheap. Um, I'd just like to promote a couple of my books. I have two books on project management that I have written previously, what I have written. The first one was called When I Was a Project Manager. If you've not heard of it, um, I uh, and you have Kindle Unlimited, you can get it for free on digital. If you are not on Kindle Unlimited, it'll cost you um, 99p unless I can get Amazon to set it for free, uh, which uh, they seem to struggle to do at the moment. Uh, it talks about... Uh, it's the story of four project managers talking about their illustrious career. You may recognise some of the theme. And the second book was, is uh, Project Management, The Sketches, a further continuation of hilarity and uh, uh, poking fun at our profession, which hopefully will rise a smile and some um, recognition in projects and people you've met through the years. So grab a copy of them, jump across to Amazon or jump across to nigelcreaser.com, open up a shop and you've got all the links there. And uh, well, that's it really. Uh, on with the news. This week's been uh, an, an interesting and challenging one in, in the office and I'll talk about that at another date. Um... We have, after Bensi today, we are going to be having um, uh, a couple of other great interviews. I'm going to move to um, fortnightly uh, rather than the, the month, not sure, and maybe have the Saturday brunch. I'm just going to do fortnightly and then do um, do the interviews, those, and occasionally I might drop to a month when it's quiet. But I do have um, a couple of great interviewees already in the bag, and I've got another one coming up in a couple of weeks where I'm interviewing uh, uh, on the subject of DISC, uh, which is a behavioural model, uh, Liz Hobbs. So we've been trying to get together to chat on this for a little while, and uh, mainly because of me, we've uh, not managed to, to uh, sync diaries properly. Um, so that I'm really looking forward to that conversation. It's a topic that I think is really useful uh, for us. Um, the uh, other topics I have is about introducing jazz into... Uh, your projects, and the other one is on product uh, in the automotive industry, uh, product management in the automotive industry. So both of those topics, again, a whole um, quite a, a varied uh, set of topics. Um, after that, I've got none scheduled. Then I've got some targets, um, and I will be pinging out to people. But I would call out if there's anyone out there who 
um, knows of anyone who would be interested in talking about project management, resilience, mental health in project management, um, I'd be really interested to chat to them because I think it's a topic that, um, especially with the, the lockdown and all, all the pandemic stuff, that um, as project managers we are under a lot of pressure and um, tips, tricks, comments, thoughts, processes would be really useful for everyone I believe, especially coming out of what is hopefully us coming out of this pandemic. So if you, you know of anyone, please get in touch, uh, uh, interviewees at nigelcreaser.com or anything at nigelcreaser.com to be free. Um, uh, what else has been going on? <clears throat> oh, the next book is, um, I made a little bit of headway into it in the last week uh, or two. I've got it down to, uh, I think I'm 70% complete now on the edit. And I think there's going to be another edit, but pretty good. I uh, spotted that I had a lot of standard text at the back that I hadn't marked off as being reviewed and done a couple of tweaks to those. So um, it makes me feel like I'm on the, the downward run now. So I'm hoping in the next few weeks I'll be able to battle that off and I will be calling out for advanced readers so if you do fancy um, being part of my advanced reader community um, you, I'll send you a cop- early copy of the book and all I ask is you read it and give me some constructive critique really and even if it's on one page um, but again if you don't get a chance to you don't get a chance to but uh, even if the critique is a thumbs up or thumbs down that's something um, so again, uh, ping me ARC, uh, Advanced Reader Community, at nigelcreaser.com. And I think I'm going to shut up now and let you guys get on with um, get on with listening to my interview with Bensie Golden. So I'll speak to you when I come back. So today... I'd like to welcome Bensi Goldman to the show. Uh, Bensi is the CEO of Purflow, and he's worked in various areas of software and startups, as well as consulted with organizations on business strategy. He's energized by finding better ways of doing things, and uh, the one th- that's the one thing that excites him most about his work. Uh, his company, Purflow, their mission is to help people and help projects. Uh, to be more successful using cutting edge technology and research. And one of the things in their mission statement that they have is that they, they, they hope to say, we, we hope to revolutionize the way teams execute projects around the world, not for the sake of revolution, but for the sake of going to work on a Monday morning with a smile. And I really like that. Welcome to the show, Bensi. Thanks, Nigel. Thanks for having me. That's great. We had a few technical challenges before, but we've got past them, which is good. And uh, yeah, you just um, your your mission intrigues me. Your your uh, approach uh, intrigues me on on the the things I've read about Perflow and, and seen on on social media, etc. And uh, so uh, really looking forward to having this chat about improving project team success. So, but before we d- delve into that, tell me a little bit about you and and your background. Where where are you from? Um, people may have picked up a little bit from the accent. And uh, um, where are you now? And um, how did you get there? Sure. So uh, I'm originally from South Africa. Um, so apologies in advance if uh, some of my words aren't very clear. <laughs> um, I'll try my best. I'm currently in 
Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, in the Midwest. And um, we got here because uh, they wanted to bring startups out here and, and invest in them. And we, I was obviously looking to come to, to the States to get investment and to grow. Um, so we're here, but we're still a very much a distributed team from day one. Um, I never met my co-founder for the first six months, oh, probably. Wow. Um, and, uh, and yeah, in terms of my background, it really is strange that it has nothing to do with project management at all. Um, however, a lot of the uh, sort of projects I worked on or companies that I you know, consulted with were working on projects and we didn't even realize, you know, after sort of doing some courses in terms of like looking at the, you know, some of the PMI material on, um, on project management, all of these things started to like, you know, spark ideas or, or memories of like, oh, this is, you know, this is risk management or this is, you know, yeah. uh, estimation planning, which a lot of it, it just the, the words weren't, you know, or the process and the words just weren't the same. And now learning a lot about it, you know, is both, I see both sides of it. So being objective uh, and, and coming originally from the people side of things, uh, the last product that I built was a ratingless performance management software, which turned into Perflow actually, because right. we found this, this huge gap in project management in, term, in the training, uh, skills, you know, day to day, or just the perception of what a project manager or a project lead is responsible for. It's very process oriented. It's very much about, you know, executing tasks, timeline, budget, resources, um, and a lot of jargon, uh, and a lot of processes and charts and, you know, uh, structures and, and those are all good and important. Uh, but our philosophy and our argument, which is really based on research, is that if you're not empowering, monitoring constantly the people that are executing the project, the team, there's really no use in, in, in worrying so much about process and tasks when the people executing the tasks are not um, supported and, 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 um, and empowered. So that's really yeah. our mission is to bring the, the, the people side, the more human side of project management, which is no longer a you know, soft skills or soft side of project management. It's essential in, in this world, this new world of work. Yeah, I agree. It's it's um, I've I've heard it said in uh, definitely you never a Gantt chart never delivers a project, uh, a risk register never delivers the project. Any of those tools that are all very valuable and useful, but they don't actually deliver it, and and we can find ourselves spending an inordinate amount of time, and I've done it myself, um, trying to go through reviews, do your finance reviews, do your risk review, get all that stuff going. And actually, then it gets in the way of that understanding what the people are doing, understanding what the, what they need in order to do the next step of the project. And mm -hmm. and it's kind of you spend you can find yourself in that loop, I suppose, of being a PM of reporting the problems uh, rather than dealing with the problems. And that's kind right. of because because it's the people who can solve the problems, isn't it? Right. Yeah, that's uh, that's really what our product is built around is is utilizing 
the people that are executing the project utilizing information that is in their head about what's happening in the project on a day to day basis, not just relying on the project manager or project lead in terms of, you know, when something's sort of blowing up or a fire to put out. Our job is to alert project managers in real time when things may be going wrong, what, where and why, as opposed to um, you know, being surprised. So, what was sort of like going back to that? You said your your um, um, product that you built before the 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 ratingless um, performance management. How yeah. just as, as that was the the genesis of this? What was that? Because that intrigues me as well. Because obviously, at the end of every year, everyone gets their ratings and or part way through or whatever the the cycle is. And it's always quite a, a torturous process, I think, for both receiving and giving that sort of yeah. thing and then organizationally balancing it and all that sort of thing. So what what triggered all that, um, that kind of approach? Was it a personal experience or was it just someone asking you to do it? Yeah, yeah. Well, what triggered it was a bad performance review, uh, <laughs> which I thought was not accurate. Um, fair, fair enough. We've all been there. <laughs> yeah, something that I really have, and I'm going to use this word, uh, I don't use this word lightly, I've really hated the process, the whole methodology of performance management didn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Everyone's revolutionizing over the last few years. It's not a new conversation. It's been going on. But I mean, majority of companies are still doing ratings. Um, and there is so much proof of how inaccurate and biased ratings are and how it doesn't increase performance, but it does the exact opposite and how employees take sick days before and after the performance reviews, stress goes up, managers hate it, HR hates it, employees hate it, but people still do it. So, I mean, the solution that people did is, okay, we need to scrap ratings. What are we going to do? Continuous check-in, continuous feedback. The problem is, they use those ratings for rewards, compensation, you know, upskill, yeah. development, whatever it may be. Now they don't have the ratings. So I thought we can remove, we can get insights without using ratings. And the way to do that is just to digitize some of these conversations and then also to use a thumbs up and thumbs down and become more work oriented as opposed to individual feedback and, and more team oriented. So it was really started to evolve into a team-based performance software and, and moved away from individual you know, feedback. Um, and so the next progression of that was looking at how you know, other technology vendors were designing their solutions for teams. And a lot of them said, yeah, we're team performance. And then when it, we looked at it, it was all individual. And then they would aggregate everyone's rating into the team but they had no feature for project teams. And project teams, as you know, work completely differently yeah. to functional teams, organizational teams. And you know, they come together, disband, and then you're doing a performance review or just any type of review that is at any point in time, it's not contextual to the work. It's not contextual to the team. The timing is just off. It makes no sense. So to us, it was very clear that there was a gap in the market here. There was a need here. And it's sort of a double-edged sword where it's like, okay, we're helping contextualize, you know, performance conversations for a team, but also we're helping increase project success rates because we're identifying issues at an early stage. 
So it was sort of a win-win, and we were like, we've got to double down on this. Well, makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. And and just, I suppose the thinking, the the thing that always goes there for me is, or the first flag that pops up for me when you talk about a team is, um, if you're rating a team, um, the the individual, and this is the kind of challenges I imagine you've had conversations with, is the challenge back is, yeah, but what if you've got one member of that team who's carrying everyone? Or everyone is carrying one member of the team, whichever way or blend of thing. Someone comes into the team, they spend five minutes. That's all they do. They step away. They get the same reward as other people. And it's the whole uh, little red hen conversation for that book and that sort of thing. So how do, how, does, how do you square that circle? So we don't do any individual feedback or rating. Uh, the team's always rating themselves as a team. So we've designed templates and questions with organizational you know, psychologists and, and experts in the space to make sure that people, so most you know, type of team health check or pulse survey softwares will ask, are you stressed or are you, you know, supported in this? We ask everything on a team level. So when people are, this, are thinking and processing the, the, the question, the input, they're now associating not just themselves and their own experience, but the experience of the team and the sentiment of the team. And collectively, the research shows that it's much more accurate, the results of that. And so what we do is we identify issues on a team level that the leader can then go and investigate further. Um, and then also, and it's also anonymous, obviously. So, you know, no one's calling anyone out. Um, you know, it needs a minimum of three team members on a, on, a t- on a project to actually use Perflow. Otherwise, it's, you know, it gets obvious who's saying what. And um, it's really about self-reflection. So we don't hoard this data for project leads alone. Uh, the data is, some of this data is shared with the team. And the idea is we bring this up, share it on your, you know, on your video call, share the screen and discuss it talk about it as a team and it sort of takes you know you could say like oh this is only for a very mature team you know and a very mature manager mm-hmm. but i think you know the way we see it is it takes like army teams makes them marine teams it takes marine teams makes them navy seal teams and every team can benefit from something like this and yeah. there's different you know use cases for, for every type of team or project but you know again I always talk about research because, you know, I love things that are proven, not just, you know, somebody's idea. But self-analyzing teams that are constantly assessing themselves where they can do better are obviously high-performing teams. So that's what we're enabling, essentially. Yeah, I suppose it kind of goes to the the move to the the kind of agile approach with... uh, and very much that is about that self-reflection and kind of having your retrospectives at the end of each of your sprints to kind of just all sit there and go, well, how are we doing? And even the daily stand-ups are kind of it, that those kind of um, timely interactions on things happening. I know uh, listening to uh, a podcast I've listened to for many years, uh, the Manager Tools podcast, one of the things that they talk about is while you build it up, it's about feedback and performance and things like that. Is that, and I've, I've always, I've tried to do it sometimes poorly, but I try anyway. Is that giving feedback at the point when 
the activity happens. Now, whether it's good, good, bad, mm. what, it doesn't matter. Feedback's feedback. It's a loop, isn't it? It doesn't matter whether it, it's just bits of data at the end of the day. And if, if you turn to someone and say, the way you just presented that, that was really good. Keep it up. Tell, writing it down and saving it until the end of the year when it's buried in the bottom of the it 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 will they'll still sit there and they'll, but they'll go well, which which meeting was that that you thought yeah. I did that in when you say it at that point in time you haven't got six months between when they did something good I'm not saying they don't do it but you're saying that was really good keep it up mm. that six months you get the benefit of telling someone that don't you whereas if you wait six months they then oh that was good was it oh I'll keep doing that then you've got a big gap yeah. of productivity that both you and that person has not had a chance to benefit from and on the flip side if there is something they're not doing or that is harming their career or causing you problems or causing someone else if you wait and then tell them at the end of the year well on this day you did this and that was wrong mm. how have they got a chance to fix it unless you the sooner you tell someone the sooner they can fix it and i guess and, and again that's that's the whole this whole principle of the agile kind of approach is the sooner you spot there's a problem you can do something about it if you wait until um uh, and, I, and i'm not being an, an uh, i'm not an agile devotee or a waterfall devotee I, I use the right hat use a hammer for a nail and a screwdriver for a screw and sometimes you need to in both of them to build what you're building but that ability to quickly turn and and, and change the direction is really beneficial and in, in these kind of things in any kind of project if you wait until a, a, a lessons learned session at the end of the project well we all know what happens with those most of the time those lessons learned get put in a drawer underneath mm -hmm. but if you learn them all the way through you can tweak as you go along and that guy and i don't know if i'm going down a down a rabbit hole slightly askew uh -huh. but it kind of i can i'm kind of seeing some correlations there because it allows you to you well, both you and the team to adjust what you're doing um, in a more timely fashion. And I know I've seen a lot of organisations moving away from the traditional tw once every year 400 question staff survey or what, what's it's, um, uh, staff engagement review as they probably got changed the names to them so they didn't sound like staff surveys and there's much more frequent questions being asked but smaller quicker do it in five minutes which I, I, from what I, I think that's kind of industry why that's starting to happen more and this kind of sounds like it supports that sort of thing as well that we yeah no 100 right. percent there's a movement called micro feedback micro learning micro coaching um, I mean, we've trademarked micro-reviews, but we didn't, you know, intend it to be used for reviews, and like, we don't really like the word reviews, to be honest. Um, and to be honest with you also, we've stolen some ideas from Agile and Scrum retrospectives, so yeah, we've, we've brought that to, to the masses in the sense of you don't have to be an engineering team or product team to do retros, to no. self-assess on a weekly basis. You can be an HR team. You can be a sales team. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I agree. You know? Yeah. So uh, we're democratizing think, agile retros. Yeah, and I think it, it's one of those, the things that when I started getting involved with with the agile sort of stuff, looking at that and going, yeah, once every month, 
looking at how you've done as a team, even, even, even if you push it that long, once a month, spending an hour, what went well? What went crap? What should we keep doing and, and tell other people? Just having that hour or two hours to sit back and do that, yeah. the amount of power that has, regardless of what your team is. It's just, mm. it, it's even, I'm quite done it and I've tried to move project management techniques into the family, but even with, as a family, yeah, doing that sort of thing, right, what's what's gone well this month? What have we enjoyed? What are we all happy about? You know what I mean? But it, it even, just as a concept, it, you kind of sit there and think, well, why, why wouldn't that be a bad thing to open up that communication channel that is, isn't there and just and and it's painful and hard for everyone to do that sort of thing isn't it it, until you've got into it a little bit and once you get used to it it's like a new scrum team it's like we we've i've been in situations where we've had with our teams before now where we'll we'll just we'll have a we'll run our improvement activities in an agile, using agile tools, not really an ad, fully agile, but using agile tools and using those same things, your plan, your retrospective, your sprint reviews, and just oh. go, what's going great for us, guys? What's going terrible? And then we all just raise the things and then, right, what should we do about it? And rather than me just sitting there moaning about stuff, I get a chance to be able to do something about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what's really important is the uh, enabling a space of psychological safety, as they call it, which really means people feel comfortable to speak up, to yeah. provide ideas and suggestions, you know, and they won't be penalized for it or made to feel uncomfortable. And not only that, a step further is that they're actually, you know, listened to and actioned. It's like, it's great if everyone feels comfortable to just say everything and nothing happens. Yeah. You know, what I found with Agile, and I sat in a lot of them with, uh, with engineering teams, firstly, it's all work-based. Mm-hmm. I don't hear anything about people or well-being or, you know, somebody could have been in a serious, I don't know, accident, you know, the week before and it could have affected, you know, the development cycles, but it's just about, you know, yeah. how it's going to be better at, you know, estimation, planning and all this. And I'm like, you know, there's other issues in the team maybe things are going on at home or whatever. You don't want to talk about that necessarily with the whole team. What I'm saying is to just be aware of a holistic retro in terms of incorporating team and people. And then the other thing I would say is, I mean, the other thing I saw was like, for remote teams, they'll use, let's say, Trello to do retros. Yeah. So and just move over, done well, done better, et cetera, et cetera. And then it becomes an exercise. But the question is, what happens with that data? that is produced going forward. Are you actually learning from it going on in the project yeah. and the next project? Are other people in the organization or other projects learning from your learnings? And that's what we're basically doing is is now, because you can do these, you know, the, these concepts in, in Perflow, but it's always in the system and, and it's always analyzed and it's producing reports. So, you know, nothing is deleted. And the intelligence becomes when you as an organization have hundreds of projects and now we sort of know what works and what doesn't. And then we yeah. can that and become, you know, a recommendation engine. Yeah, and I suppose that's where you start getting to the point where you can, you, you're running a project and you start getting um, metrics or flags that are coming out of this particular project's feedback 
and then matching it to other ones and go, hang on a minute, this one went all pear-shaped when that was happening. I mean, it's kind of that one. Um, we can do something about it. Here's what, here's some of the things that were, happened. And you could you can immediately uh, intervene on those. And I know there was um, um, a conversation I've had with uh, a couple of people at different times around uh, trying to get beyond your own organization with that kind of information and get aggregated uh, information, industry information or, or just... Yeah. You know, and and being able to pull that together and and obviously the the difficulty is is getting um uh, any sensitive data making sure it's protected etc but also competitive advantage for some organizations are going to hold back on but when you think of it as a if you just put your project delivery hat on on how we could improve it if every single project was able every single organization gave every single piece of project data to some trusted organization mm. and we were able to pull all the lessons learned and all the flags and all that sort of kind of information together the power of something like that would be incredible in a learning sense and a how to flag it point of view it's a hell, yeah. hell, hell of a, a thing to try and get to i imagine it's it's very possible if they partner with us um in the sense of like you know you have pmr apm in the UK, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. They have the network. They have they have a lot of data, and they do the surveys once a year, etc. Um, but technologically, it's not um, it's not being aggregated and you know distributed. Yeah. That's I mean, you're talking about our, our backlog here in terms of yeah. like AI, well, data science. Yeah, well, a couple of the conversations I've had with, and I'll, I'll spin off the names of people we've had. Um, uh, Jonathan Norman and um, Andy Murray from the Major Projects Association over here in the UK and, and the Major Projects Hub, Knowledge Hub and I know they're talking about that kind of how to get uh, when you're talking the big mega project type information. I know that um, uh, Ricardo Vargas um, has some stuff in a similar sort of thing that he was looking at doing in the AI side of it, and uh, he's got it on his website and that. And and uh, Shark Tower up in in Scotland with uh, Craig McKay, um, looking at that kind of thing. And it, kind of all all of these things with, with all these people I've spoke to, you kind of sit there and go, hang on, all of those, they're all you're you're all coming at a slightly different angle, but you're all oh. trying to trying to get that same thing, isn't it? That kind of data based. Uh, and I don't mean database, I mean data-driven knowledge yeah. rather than, um, which can help flag that to us as, as PMs or as organizations, rather than yeah. having to have that, you, that, you know, a lot of the time it, it, that the things that you're talking about are going to be the gut feel of the PM. And that's of the PM who knows the team well, who can sit there in the room and go, I, I can feel the temperature's wrong. That conversation over there, flag. But in these remote organisations that we're in now, picking up that um, that that um, uh, uh, team dynamics a lot harder, and mm. it's going to get harder because I, I personally believe that remote working is going to get more and more um, the norm. Mm. Um, the, the, there's that many large organisations, and I think they're all going to start following suit on. Right, let's do this work, and you'll you'll have obviously with the way you've set yourselves up um, with a distributed company. Never mind the distributed teams. Mm. Um, you you're gonna get 
more need for us to have tools that feed us that thing rather than being sat in a room and watching two people standing face to face by the water cooler in a heated argument and going, well, I've got a team problem here or yeah. a bunch of people cheering in the corner. Whatever that dynamic is, you don't yeah. get that now in the remote region unless you start switching on everyone's webcams having everyone at home doing that and then that defeats the objects the whole point of the that remote working is to give that flexibility to people as soon as you start saying you've got to be on teams all the time you've got to be on skype all the time you've got to be on slack all the time you've got to be always available that defeats that flexibility for anyone then doesn't it 100 yeah yeah so so where do you see um if someone wanted to use a tool like yours and, and uh, you'd obviously want them to use your tool, where how, where does, does someone choose to put this into their organisation? Is it the projects organisation are choosing to put it in? Is it the HR organisation to put it in? Is it is it individual projects that are tending to put these things in? What are you seeing with those sort of um, dynamic with that side of it? Yeah, well, companies that have... Um... So, I mean, to answer your question in one sentence, it's different based on the company and how they operate. Companies that have a you know, PMO that you know are responsible for you know projects in the company, we would speak to them, you know, head of PMO, director of project management, um, and obviously they would be able to administer it to their project teams. If a project manager or a project lead I don't want to limit it to the term project manager. Yeah, yeah, many yeah. Projects that don't, that title is not project manager, but that yeah. is project. Yeah. Um, if they want to use it in their team and they have the autonomy authority to do that, then they can. And the, what we did is we built it as a plugin to Slack or Microsoft Teams. Right. So what that means is you don't need a whole implementation. You don't need, and it's obviously cloud-based. You don't need a whole training session. You could literally never talk to me and plug it in uh, and use it um, because we know there's so many tools and, and apps and there's just no need for another one. Um, so the team is actually never coming onto our app. They're always engaging through Slack and Teams. Um, and then HR would really only come in in fully project-based organizations um, where this is a people enablement tool and a manager enablement tool. Um, we don't see it as an HR tool, it's a manager tool. The only time where we would encourage the participation of HR would be the L&D, learning and development, coaching side of things. Because if we have feedback on a team that needs some development in a certain area, we need to bring in other people that are specialized in that case. If the actual manager is getting feedback on their leadership, and they want to get some additional training or coaching, you know, it's giving you visibility and insights that you never got before. And now what do you do with that? Sometimes you need to get external or internal, you know, people that are um, are able to sort of help with that. So that's yeah. where we see talent side come in, not for using the data for any type of performance reviews. Okay. All right. Cool. And I suppose looking as a as a team member what does that that, that feel like that, what is it the, the experience of, of using perflow what what do i see what what happens what 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 yeah what happens yeah i'll stop saying what <laughs> so at the beginning of the project so we want to make sure that everyone's set up for success yeah 
At the beginning of the project, we make sure that everyone is clear on their role and expectations of the project by literally asking them, are you clear on your expectations for this project? And they either say, yes, I'm 100% crystal clear, or I could use a little more clarity. Mm-hmm. And if they say we, we could use a little more clarity, then we tell the project manager, hey, you know, Nigel needs a little more clarity in his role on this project, like, you know, intervene here. That's the only individual data that is not anonymous, because obviously it doesn't yeah. help to know that the whole team doesn't, isn't clear who's not clear, you know. Um, so that's the beginning of the project. Then we do this project kickoff. And project kickoff really is making sure that everyone is not just clear on their role and, and expectation, but the purpose of the project, the goal of the project, what success looks like, and what are the success criteria. So one of the things we have in Purple is called success measures. Success measures are different measures that we know will contribute to the success of this project. And we want to continuously self-analyze on these criteria. And then throughout the project, the team is giving feedback to the team and the team lead on how they're doing against these success criteria and suggestions on how we can improve. Like, you know, are we doing well? Um, could we do better? How can we improve? Yeah. And that goes through 30-second feedback loops through Slack and Teams throughout the project. Um, and throughout the project, we have different interactions and feedback loops through Slack and Teams. And then we also send the team results of the sentiment. So we say, oh, your team has given feedback, and this is what everyone thinks. And that really prompts conversations. Uh, and that also holds the project manager accountable uh, to, to intervene and take action on, on some of these results. But really, we want this to be a collaborative experience where the team is actually, from the get-go, a part of the decision-making, part of the um, discussion and communications around um, you know, the, the project performance, the engagement of the team, and really, um, like I said, continuously self-analyzing yeah. and, and, and feeling you know, safe to bring up any issues, any red flags. At any point in the project, they can bring up red flags. Because um, again, the idea is to give the project leader any type of information that would help them to keep the project on track. And then at the end of the project, we close out. Uh, so you can incorporate your team health checks, your post-project reviews, your project kickoffs, all within Perflow, sort of like a three-in-one solution. Yeah. Um, so you don't have to do you know, surveys or, or Google Forms or, or paper or Kanban boards. It's all digitized in one centralized place. Yeah, and then you've got that aggregation of that data to be able to give you that sort of sentiment feeling, isn't it, I suppose? It yeah, sounds, and, you know, yeah, project lead, you you have visibility yeah. on all projects and departments and looking at trends and hotspots. Yeah, I can kind of see that. And, and do you... Thinking there from, say, from a PMO point of view, do you aggregate that then up to get um, sort of portfolio or program level sentiment and, and onto the full PMO sort of thing? Does that work as well? Yeah, 100%. You can basically uh, assign different products to one program, and that would be sort of an entity in itself. Yeah, and then at someone leading that part can sit there and look at And I suppose you've... Do you, do you, do you have a when you have those team sentiment things, is the, the team leader, the project leader in, involved in those? And kind of, do you use different questions, different sort of um, uh, um, uh, topics, if you like, as well, with the different 
people in different roles within the team. I know there's, I'm guessing there's lots of them that will be common. Yeah, is is the air conditioning okay? Whatever, but yeah, but there's going to be some that's going to be that are so are very specific to a role as well. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, firstly, the project manager gets their own questions in terms of not a lot because obviously it's more about. I mean, they they contribute to every micro review, but in the team pulse, they get asked more along the lines of do you have organisational support? Uh, you know, is the project sponsor engaged or you know active and then stakeholders get their own set of questions so i mean we have a library you select your own but internal external stakeholders whether it's internal or client um professional services um you can include them in feedback loops so you're getting a 360 view project lead project team member stakeholder and we actually calculate an alignment score based on um the sentiment so if a project leader's like, you know, we're doing great at this and the team's like, we're doing terrible at this and the stakeholder's like, yeah, that's all right. Like, there's clearly a misalignment there. Yeah. Uh, so that's another area. That's, that's useful because sometimes, again, it's when you've got your stakeholders and, and when I hear stakeholders, I hear customer. Yeah, it's kind of, if and, and if you're not, del- and your, your project sponsor, if you're not delivering what they need, and maybe the people beyond them as well, if you're able to reach beyond that, um, then it's the, the projects are fail, whether it's whether you've met the budget time and quality, the projects are fail unless the, the real people who need it see it a success and those end stakeholders. And it, having that capability to do it while you're steering a ship, again, I flip back to the agile thing, isn't it? It's where you're doing your demos and you're demonstrating to the people who are going to use it and they're going, yeah, that's what we wanted or no, that's completely different to what we said. Mm. You do, you're kind of giving that, it kind of feels like it's a, a, sort of a, along the side of that as well, is that if you've got the questioning right, if you've got the, the queries right, people, the sentiment will come out rather than the direct question sometimes is that is that a fair comment because if you say is it okay they'll go yeah i think it's okay but then when you ask them another different way they might they might add, it, it may raise a flag that says actually there's something askew as you say if everyone thinks it's the garden's rosy and the most important person who's end using this out there is going no it's terrible mm. i can probably think of some um Kurt examples in industry and over the last 12 months on different things from government and things but it but it is it is about that end user's experience sometimes with some of these IT systems um, and are you delivering the benefits so I suppose it goes does it go to benefits management as well have you do you take it to that point after and, and continue on that that topic with those stakeholders yeah, so you can actually, I mean, it's pretty flexible. You can schedule it how you like, uh, how often you like, or when you want it to go, and also what questions to ask, um, you know, who you're asking what, and gather whatever insights you want to understand from yeah. your stakeholders throughout the project. You can also identify different success criteria which they may have feedback on. So, for instance, so you're designing a mobile app, and it's... I don't know, user experience is one of the things that they're very, you know, we want an unbelievable UX, UI for our customers. You know, it's one of the, you know, deal breakers. And why we chose you as a firm to build our app. And uh, 
and you guys pride yourself on user experience, well, then that's that's a success criteria for the project. You select that at the beginning and you select the stakeholders to to provide feedback on user experience. Yeah. So now throughout the project, you have a graph on how the team of the project is doing on user experience. And you can see what the stakeholders think, the client thinks versus what the team versus what you think. And that's when it gets interesting is it, it's like, oh, I didn't realize that, you know, yeah. because, it's an, because it's continuous and it's anonymous, you know, we're automating conversation, but in an honest way. Yeah. Uh, so it gets interesting. Yeah, because I suppose the thing is, is with a lot of these things you're saying there with, um, and you've got a product that enables this. You've got uh, uh, the, the research and the technology behind it. Uh, in some ways, you can do this. Uh, there, there is a way to do this yourself as an organization, and you could do it very much um, uh, chalk and talk. You can do it through spreadsheets, Jira boards, Trellos, and all that. I suppose that that um, the the anonymity gives, and, and I know with with um, employee survey type stuff, that the anonymity is a key thing from all directions. Uh, to get that to allow people to feel they can without any um, even even if there aren't going to be any it wouldn't be any recriminations there's still a, a fit people could feel that there would be and therefore would uh, resist being totally honest and, and that's what not what you want is it you want people to be totally honest about their opinion and even if what they say and their opinion you could sit there and go well actually they're coming at it from a wrong lens well, okay, so th their lens is wrong. So why is their lens wrong? Even that's a an answer, isn't it? To say, well, we need to do something. And mm -hmm. that anonymity bit of it seems to be a, a big thing in all of these, um, uh, in, in this kind of um, surveying um, mm -hmm. for it to make it useful. Like if it goes back as far as 360 reviews in some ways. You don't necessarily know who said what about you in a 360 review. Except for when, and I find this is when they write something, because generally, if you know your people well, you know who's written which one, because <laughs> of the, just yeah, the yeah. tone of they, the way they write, um, and uh, uh, which is, and again, I imagine is a difficult thing to deal with when you're actually getting written specific, specific comments on stuff rather than scoring. Some assume does does the way that your approach is it taking a scoring on something, a, a sort of temperature check, or is it a um, more descriptive feedback, or is it a bit of both? Um, we don't produce any numbers in Perth, right. in analytics. You will never see a score, because um, you know how strongly I feel about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Lies, damn see, lies, and statistics, isn't it? Yeah, you will see colours in terms of charts. You know, green, red, orange, um, and you will see percentages in terms of the percentage of the team that felt a certain way. Yeah. Um, and funnily enough, to your point about anonymous, one of our customers asked us if we could make it non-anonymous because they are on a very transparent culture and they don't like the idea of, you know, not knowing uh, or people like hiding behind a, an avatar, not, you know, a real name or person. Mm. And they want to. So, I mean, obviously there's, Again, back to the research, uh, anonymous wins in terms of uh, honest, candid feedback. 
the, um, yeah, the thing there is obviously you've got if you've got an organisation where everyone feels trusted and doesn't feel that there's the threat of recrimination, then great. Yeah. But that means that if there's one person who feels that way, you're not going to get their honest opinion. And and whereas that on an anonymity and and one person's may be fine to that organisation, but you don't know whether it's 50% of your organization organization or 2% of your organization that will modify their response because they feel that someone might come and sit on the shoulder and go, well, or talk to someone and say, well, you know, so-and-so, they're not very happy about this. Yeah. And, and just that feeling was going to, it's going to change what you, I know it would change what I was doing if I felt that a survey was not anonymous um, depending on the kind of question in there and depending on what was coming out, I would think about what I was saying, um, whether that's a good good reflection of me and my level of trust. I don't know, but I just, I just, I know I would just sit there and think, well, and maybe I wouldn't, maybe I wouldn't be as negative in some situations yeah. um, in, in that scenario. And that's the problem, isn't it? Is it's not going to reduce in that scenario. It's not going to reduce the number of people who are really happy giving you feedback. Because if people are really happy, they're happy to know that other people know that they're happy. But that's where you don't need to take as much action, isn't it? It's where people are not happy or or don't feel th- something's right or feel something's is misaligned. That's where you want to know that because that's where you want to be able to go. Hang on, ninety percent of the team think we're un- not aligned with our success criteria, whereas if you had 40% of it, you're going to take very different actions, aren't you? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, company cultures vary a lot. Uh, I've yeah. seen um, most are not, you know, in that space of like, yeah, you know, fully transparent. Everyone can say what they want without any reprimand, you know, and, and, and any judgment. Like, you know, that's unicorn culture status. And, yeah. Uh, it's obviously much easier in startups, you know, small teams to yeah. stop. You can't like, you know, they do cultural transformations and they're like, okay, now everyone, this is going to be our new culture. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, okay. Yeah, I know uh, one of my my uh, former interviewees on here, um, Colin Ed, uh, Colin Ellis, who's written a book on, on culture, uh, uh, culture makers and um uh, culture hacks he's very much a case of yes it, it, he would strongly sit down with you on that on that point there and agree with you i think because as he talked about it's you can have a you can have a really strong culture in an organization or in a department and he talks about it in his point it's like you've got this really fantastic culture because they hate their boss and they hate the company's goals but they as a team love each other and they think they're brilliant and they're really 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 on their they've got great culture internally with themselves which doesn't necessarily mean it's in the right direction and right. and that's the thing is as standing there from an organization and we are this kind of culture from the top down yeah is is not there is it it's it's a society is made up of the parts not of the leader yeah. um and that's the that's the thing you've got to and that's why it takes so long to change culture. And sometimes it's almost impossible to change culture because it's not something you can make. You can engender it, but you, but you can't make people be a trusting organization or, or, a, um, or feeling completely open. Mm-hmm. And 
yeah, and I'm uh, yeah, and, and I'm not sure there's any, any like you say it's unicorn. I'm not sure there's any relationships where you can say absolutely anything to another person without them with potentially a future date yeah. being being impacted by what you said to them. Yeah, I've got things that people have said to me twenty years ago when I was in somewhere, which I'm not. I'm not hunting them. I'm not, not not serving revenge cold, but I still remember the things they've said, and it's still, yeah. it's still, um, it was still, I would still make a judgment of them based right. on what how they had treated me. Um, well, and this is a safe space, Nigel. You you're welcome to share. Them. Yeah, well, I'm not, I'm not going to go that far. So no one's going to judge. Pro- <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. And then, I, you know, I, I saw. So, was talking to someone long ago about judging people there and that whole thing of um uh, some people i was talking to about the fact that they they were fairly young youngish teenagers who didn't like eating in front of other people because they didn't want to be judged by people while they're eating mm. which which kind of maybe it's in my, my my background i eat like a pig so you know what i mean i've kind of got nowhere to stand on being worried about looking like some some finessed person eating but it just just People do judge. It's true. Yeah. People do judge, and people do do take on board what you say about them, even if it's meant with love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It 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 will it will affect later. Yeah, um, and that, yeah. that and I think I personally think that anonymity does break down those barriers. And some of those things that actually you I wouldn't say about someone because. Um, or about the organisation, but maybe more more personal point of one. I wouldn't say about a specific person, but about because I'm trying to think how to put it. If you said it to them, they would they would no matter how you meant it, it could be taken the wrong way. Mm. But in, in an anonymous situation about the describing something to do with the team. And a score of that, or score. I know you're not a score, but you know what I mean. You're, you're, the, you could actually have something in there, and that, that. I think that that total transparency is is not helpful either. Sometimes because if you are, you just tell someone something too candidly, it just won't have the effect you want it to have. Yeah, and that's why we like the approach of team bases because you can't insult a team. No. Uh, you can insult a person, but if you say Listen, I think the team is like, you know, the news are this more. People aren't going to get individually insulted. Well, they may recognize it, but they'll deflect it. But the point is, like, it's a it's a collective thing that is um, not directed at anyone in particular. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, we're far away from getting team based rewards. Right. I mean, people are like experimenting with it. It's very tough. It's I don't know about that. But yeah. I mean, I've, 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 I've struggled with it many times as you sit there, you think, right, there's a team they've done really well. Um, brilliant. Okay. So we've got 25 people who've been involved in this project and there's four of them that have been cradle to grave have been critical to it. And then the rest of them have dipped it and absolutely for the bit they needed to, they've done well and they've given yeah. up on it. But, and then you go, right, let's all go for a meal. Let's, let's give a reward. And, it feels like in, imbalanced, but again, it's, every one of those cog, cogs in, in the machine to make that project work mm. were 
absolutely critical and they may have all done a brilliant job there may have been a few hangers on but there may, but but there's always going to be the uh, a number of the team who tend to have done a, a lion's share of the work because that's just the nature of work isn't it yeah and that's to say is as a team how do you reward that team without recognizing the individual contribution but also without belittling the the the, the others com- contribution as well it's again it's a minefield isn't it yeah, yeah, it's uh, something we have to figure out with time. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll when you've worked it out, we'll have you back on the show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's 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 tricky, but I mean, recognition is the cheapest way to reward and motivate people. Mm. Yeah. And it's you know the smallest of ways, even a public recognition channel on Slack or Teams. Um, it's just a human thing you know we like being recognized publicly even if you're an introvert we still like it I I think the thing is is that yeah you with those you need to do balance on the individuals on how they like they say with the introvert there the introvert knowing that other people know that they've been thanked is fine standing them up in front of a room of a thousand people a prize that's not the right way and it's that that how you had that that um um, uh, for for anyone else, uh, as big room with the prize and a, and a, a, a statue, I'm happy for that. It's so fine if you, people want to recognise me. Um, yeah. But other people, I think it's um, you've got to balance it, isn't it, on that side of it. But that, again, it's that feedback, the comment I said before, that meeting, that presentation you just did, that was really good, well done. Mm. That's 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 recognition. And mm. who don't, I, I can't imagine many people out there who really don't like someone coming up to saying, that was a really good presentation. Well done. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Or, <laughs> yeah, stop judging me, man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that could be the, the situation. But um, yeah. yeah, that's uh, that side of it is quite fascinating. So I think we're kind of coming to a natural end on, on, on our conversation here. And um, it's been really interesting. I kind of, this whole, um, working out the sentiment, working out how to motivate a team, working out how to catch things early. It, it, it is a, an, an endemic problem that we're always got and there's always ways to improve it. And um, hopefully everyone's picked up a, a couple of ideas here. If, um, if someone wants to get in touch, um, find out more about uh, what you do or, or, or whatever, what's the best way to, for them to get hold of you? Yeah, you can uh, email me, bensi at perflow.co. Uh, you can uh, LinkedIn me, add me on LinkedIn. You can just go on our website and um, you know contact us or sign up on the homepage for a demo if you want to you know trial Perflow. Um, okay. And yeah, we uh, thank you for thank you for the chat. It's also been I love how we've gone in different directions, but it's all related. It's all related. Yeah, and I think that's it, isn't it? It's one of these things where you can you sit in the middle and and there's lots of things that'll drop into it and and could help and benefit. So uh, again, thank you very much for your time, um, and uh, I'll uh, well have a wonderful rest of the day. Thank you. Thanks, thank Arthur. you. So that's it. Thank you very much, Bensie, for coming on the show uh, and chatting about teams there. Um, 
nothing much for me to say other than my usual um, thank you for listening. Um, if you enjoyed the show, could you uh, please share it on social media? Tell your friends. Give me a like. Uh, the YouTubers like and subscribe. I don't know why I'm pointing when I'm doing audio today. Um, if you can uh, do that, that'd be brilliant. I've mentioned the books more than once this time, so if you can. Um, feel like you can put your hand in your pocket or even grab the free one um, pop along to Amazon or onto my web page and look. you'll find the links there um, if you have time and you have the inclination uh, a review on any of the music platforms etc would be he- most heavily appreciated and uh, it helps both me and it helps people who want to listen to it as well uh, helps people find the podcast easier um, as I say sharing on social media we got the Patreon page if you want to buy me a cup of coffee uh, for while I'm uh, uh, recording this that'll be great, gratefully received as well uh, but more importantly come back next time um, and have a listen to some more fantastic guests that I'm so lucky to be able to get on this show Uh, Look after yourself and speak soon. Bye. Well, it's goodbye from me, Nigel Creaser, and it's goodbye from him, the Sunday Lunch PM. Goodbye.